The Introvert's Edge podcast was designed to create a dialogue around introversion, to stimulate a discussion around our disadvantages, how we overcome those disadvantages, and what we consider our introvert's edge. Together, we're finally going to confront the stigma around introversion, showing that we're not second-class citizens. We're just different, and we need to embrace that. Hello everyone and welcome to the Introverts Edge podcast. I'm ecstatic to welcome my next guest because he is the author of an article that, I mean, well, he wrote a post on this topic on, on LinkedIn and it got over a million shares, just a ridiculous number of shares and likes and comments purely because he said silence does not mean incompetence. I mean, I would have thought that that was a pretty obvious statement, but apparently this is a topic that is still absolutely important to bring to the forefront because a lot of people still think that confidence or competence comes from confidence, which is also absolutely not true. Now, our, our guest actually is part of the Forbes Council. He's part of the Harvard Review Business Council as well, and also he just specializes in helping people realize how to turn difference into synergy, and more importantly, how to actually back that up with data so you're not just saying, I think it's good for us. So without further ado, I'm going to, to welcome to the show Chaba Tot. Chaba, welcome, welcome to the show, mate. I'm ecstatic to have you, and I hope I didn't butcher your name too much. No, that was perfect. Thank you so much for having me. So we were just talking after the show and I put, I, I hope people don't mind me if the video watch is looking down on my notes a ton, but I was like, do not butcher his name, do not butcher his name. And then we got to that point and I'm like, oh gosh, this the dyslexic, dyslexic part of my, me is popping in. So I want to make sure that people know up front as we go into this podcast that you are not a, a an introvert yourself. You are a, a true ambivert. And we kind of deep dived into this before the show because I find a lot of people that I first have a dialogue with, they say, oh, I'm extroverted. And then it's not that they are extroverted, it's they were introverted, but their desired state was to become extroverted, which I feel like is the total wrong solution. Uh, but they now see themselves as that, which kind of stops introverts believing that they can obtain success. And then there's a lot of people that say they're ambiverted, but they weren't true ambiverts at the beginning. And so I'd love for you, just because your whole background is really studying this concept and understanding it at a really deeper level, for those people that aren't sure if they've become more extroverted, they've become more ambiverted, or they are true introverts, how do you how do you define the difference, and how do you you know help people understand it? There's nothing wrong with either of those places. It's just you know, your natural personality type. Well, personally, I don't really believe that people can change it the preferences that much. It's not like I wake up as an introvert and suddenly I'm extrovert because that's my decision. I don't think that is true because our preferences are really stable, but our behavior depends on the context. So this is what we need to understand that once you take a psychometric assessment and you learn about your preferences, then instead of using that as an excuse, we can actively work on our comfort zone to enhance our behavior and cognitive flexibility. So we just push that comfort zone a little bit more. So we learn new skills because being extroverted means that I gain my energy from interacting with other people. But how do you know that? You can see that in terms of the behavior, people are more animated. They are more talkative, but we can learn those skills. That because that is a set of behaviors that we can learn. Is it draining for an introvert? Of course it is, but you can do that. And that is the whole point that we can learn to push the boundaries. And it's about leveling up, exactly what you said. We don't have to level up because 
we don't like something or because we are not good enough. Because often coaches talk about transformation. It's so exciting. Yes, it is for you. But people on the other side here, oh no, I'm not good enough. That's going to be too much hassle. But nobody likes that. But when you talk about leveling up, you know, that's coming from the gaming industry. Then you play a video game. You learn new skills. At the end, you have to destroy that monster. If you don't, you start over. If you do, you go to the next level. And most people don't do that. They start over. They don't level up because there's always somebody else to blame. So that's why we talk about leveling up. And then we can do that. It's almost like, you know, you can learn how to swim. You can be a really good swimmer. But it doesn't make you a fish. Yeah, and that's absolutely. my take. You know, it's funny. I remember the there's this image that I share on social media from time to time. And it's like this teacher at the table and the students are an elephant, a monkey, a fish. And they're like, okay, so the test today is we're all going to climb this tree. Now, of course, there are certain people, uh, certain animals that would be better or worse. And I, I think the same comes from an introvert, extrovert, ambivert. There are certain things that each group is definitely better at. I mean, try and get an extrovert to sit in a room and write a book. They find it really difficult because they need their, their charge time. But talking about, you know, I'm an introvert, but don't worry, I'm an extrovert now. Like, firstly, you're highlighting that there's something wrong about being introverted, which is kind of like you, you're putting, saying, I don't like the fact that I'm a great listener. It's, it's saying, don't worry, I've learned not to listen now. I've learned not to be more empathetic. And on, on the flip side, those are skill sets that extroverts can learn, but the desired state isn't to become more introverted. It's to find your way to, to this more ambiverted space where you, you know, you've, you feel that your energy isn't depleted as much from networking, but you've learned how to have those, you know, those initial social discussions. And from the extroverted side, that you can have those initial social conversations, but you also actually listen to what they say and you respond with empathy and understanding. And I, I feel that so many people look down their nose at the introverted space that they don't realize that there's huge strengths there. And there's so many people that are introverted that then say, oh, wait, now I'm ambiverted, so I'm not going to advertise that I'm introverted, or now I'm extroverted because there's something wrong with being introverted. And I know you specialize in, you know, really understanding that, if you like, the cognitive diversity of an organization. Do you find this clouding of understanding really a massive inhibitor to even getting started with trying to lean into everybody's strengths? Yes, and first of all, what you describe is really important because we don't change our personality, but we can learn how to flex our behavior. And that's the most important part because nothing is wrong with us. You know, one profile is not better than the other one. The worst one is the rigid one because if something is rigid, it breaks. So it doesn't matter what kind of profile you have. If you are not flexible, if you don't learn how to flex your behavior style and your communication style, then you create a huge mindset gap. And that's exactly what we do, but we can measure it because Probably you had this feeling when you were talking to someone and you thought, oh my God, that person has no common sense at all. They don't get you. But we never think about the fact that they feel the same way about us. But for a different reason, the level of pain and frustration is the same. The reason is different. And that's exactly our topic. Because once I understand why people do what they do, then it's easier to tolerate it. It's easier to feel empathy, not without it. And that's why we have to focus on technically what we call the uncommon mindset, that you are able to see the same situation from different perspectives so you can make better decisions and then you can choose to respond instead of just reacting. So it sounds good, but in a corporate environment, it's difficult 
Because what happens when two people disagree? That's hard. But that's exactly where the potential lies for success or disaster. And that is the reason why cognitive diversity is the only layer of diversity that has proven benefit in terms of performance. Because it feels horrible. It feels uncomfortable. It's something that most of us need to learn about. It's not natural to me. Definitely it wasn't. I had to learn because most of the world didn't make sense to me. And probably that's why I ended up in this field. That's interesting. You know, one of the things you talk about, you talk about three common reasons why potential is lost in a team. And I want to talk about the other two in a minute, but I actually think that I want to start with the best case, worst case scenario. So you've got an organization that then hires a huge diverse team. And I love the fact that we're getting beyond, you know, gender and race and religion, and we're starting to get into the cognitive space, which, you, you know, is a huge driver of you know, getting out of groupthink and competitive advantage. And I, I can't believe that organizations keep trying to blend everybody into that extroverted mold when truthfully extroversion is not the key to success. So I think that the problem that I see though is that while HR professionals are getting to the point where they're trying to create diverse teams and they understand the advantages of that, they have a workforce that in a lot of ways isn't ready for that. They want to bring everybody back to groupthink. They want to really you know, drive everybody to speak out loud and they do see confidence as competence and the quiet people as the people that aren't contributing or they, they, they just don't seem to understand or they're just not as motivated. And so we have this kind of tug of war situation, I would say, between organizations that have a more developed HR space where they are trying to lean into that competitive advantage with an organization that hasn't really figured this out yet and how to really, you know, drive success from this. They're not ready for it. And that's actually, I mean, it's going to cause retention issues. It's going to cause productivity issues. For those people that are listening, I, I want to, I want you to answer this question. I hope you don't mind me asking two questions at once, but for the people that are in an organization that feel like they could add that kind of cognitive diversity, but their manager isn't allowing for it, what advice would you give them? And then from the other direction, if you're a manager and you feel like you're struggling to really let in those people that have cognitive diversity because you try to drive people the same way, what advice would you give to both of those groups? So of course there is an overlap and that leads us to the other two invisible forces that we talk about because cognitive diversity is just the potential. Because it doesn't, it's not automatic, like you said, because you can employ a bunch of people who think and behave differently, probably they are going to clash. It's going to a bloodbath. So can you make it work? That's a different story. But you have to create the right environment. And that is a psychologically safe, motivating environment. Because maybe you have that, the, the selection of opinions in your team, but if people don't speak up, if that opinion is not appreciated, it's not valued and it's punished, then people stay quiet. And that's the problem with that. Because in every single company, there is a norm that most people conform to. So the real question is, how big is the mindset gap between what is natural to you and what is normal and expected around you? That's really important because that shows the level of inclusion. So from a managerial perspective, it is important to create the space. But often when we talk about psychological safety, then we talk about the external environment. But that takes away the power from people because we have to give back the agency because your sense of psychological safety and motivation depends on you, how you perceive something. 
and let me that introverted people feel less safe than the extroverted ones. And that's normal. So instead of shaming the company into inclusion, maybe those people need more coaching, need more support so they can reframe that experience. And then the outcome is something positive. But we just have to acknowledge the fact that it's going to be uncomfortable. Because what you can read about that we love diversity, we celebrate diversity. You know, when, when I did workshop for BBC, they had 17,000 employees. And they said, we celebrate and tolerate diversity. And I said, that's fantastic. That's so much better than hating people. But you cannot turbocharge your car by celebrating your engine. That's not enough. You have to understand how the different parts work together so you can optimize them. And that's the beauty of it. But what happens that often companies employ a lot of different people and that they teach them how to be normal. They call it onboarding. This is what we do. Why? Because. Fantastic. Good chat. And that's how we lose the power of diversity. So we just have to understand that it's going to be uncomfortable in the beginning. But once I understand that, that the feeling of discomfort is a sign of growth, then we can deal with it. That's interesting. You know, I actually had an almost allergic reaction to that statement that you said, we, we celebrate and tolerate uh, diverse people because celebrate, I understand, tolerate is a terrifying word. It's almost like the, the, the culture is saying, we'll tolerate you until we can convert, you know, bring you into the fold of who we now are and bring you into groupthink, which is almost a lack of understanding of you know, the benefits of diverse thinking. And it, it, gets, me, it gets me thinking about personality tests because when I think about a personality test, I mean, when you have somebody of a different gender, a different skin color, it's, I mean, it's not easy to hide that on, you know, on your application, but a lot of organizations now do personality tests for, you know, when they're hiring staff to see whether they're going to be a great culture fit. And the first thing that comes up, if I was an introvert, especially if I was applying for a sales role, but if any role, really, if I was looking for a leadership role, a lot of organizations could probably still punish me or consider me not a fit for their organization if I don't tick that extroverted confidence box. Do you find, because I mean, one of the things that I love about your body of work is that you really focus on, on data. And if you can't measure it, then it's just a guess. And yet from a lot of the data that you, I'm assuming that a lot of these hire, people in HR that are making hiring decisions that data can in a lot of ways be manipulated. I mean, I can even think, and I haven't, you know, I haven't worked for an organization since I was 19, but I would imagine that if I was trying to apply for a job and I wanted to be in leadership, I wouldn't take the risk of answering a question that could perhaps trigger the introversion part of that psychological test. Do you find people manipulating their answers because there isn't that psychological safety, even from a point of answering the test questions? Yes, and I also wrote an article about this and uh, the title was something like psychometric discrimination and that was exactly the topic that i think people need to lie because companies use these assessments in the wrong way because these psychometric assessments do not measure skills and competency they measure preferences and it's not the same thing and that's the problem if you don't fit the profile you cannot get this job i mean that is just insane that has nothing to do with science that's unbelievably biased, backed up with data because, you know, they can see a number, they can see a report, so it looks scientific. But if you don't know how to use it, then the outcome is going to be negative. That's the problem with that. So in that case, yes, you're right. 
You know, it's interesting because when I, I talk to people about, yeah, but I, I just prefer to hire extroverts because they just, they're so much more natural at getting into sales. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I understand this. And I, I know we've got a, another interview coming up on the Introverted Seller Summit. I can't wait to dive deeper into this because I also th- think that there's a huge difference from an introverted seller perspective on intrinsic motivation and the requirement for believing in the organization. But when they when I hear things like that, I'm like, okay, so just so I'm, I'm clear then, if Zig Ziglar came for an interview at your organization, if he was still with us, you wouldn't hire him then. And they're like, well, of course we'd hire Zig Ziglar. And I'm like, but Zig Ziglar is an introvert. So how could you not acknowledge that and embrace that into your culture? So I, I really feel that when you talk about it is harder, how do you start to bring this rigid structure of they have to tick these boxes for these roles and these are the characteristics to a much more let's have an open conversation and look at the potential of every person and and how we can see each person's as individuals with skills gaps, not deficits. How do you start to bring that into a place of, as you put it, psychological safety, where A, they feel psychologically safe to answer the questions correctly, but then also feel psychologically safe to be their natural self when they when they start work? I think it comes down to education. And the problem is that our field is full of outdated and incomplete ideas that can cause more harm than good. And to be honest, that is the reason why I published my book. That's why I do a webinar every single month. So people can attend it and then they can ask better questions so they can make better decisions. Because a lot of companies are selling what they have, not what the clients need. And that's a big problem. So we have to focus on that definitely. Because most people don't do anything until it hurts enough. So, you know, even that HR people probably have a good intention and they think they are doing the right thing because they heard something so many times that they believe it. It's just not true. So it comes down to education. So once they understand that this is about the preferences and then based on those preferences, we can expand the comfort zone and we can focus on the skills, then it makes sense because they cannot be rigid. That's the whole point. Because how many times I heard that we love diversity? Yes, you do, but your brain doesn't because it means unpredictability. Hatred, but brain doesn't like that. That hates it. So if I know that that is the starting point, I also know what to do about it. Because the more I understand myself, the more I understand other people who think and behave differently, the more inclusion I can create because the more predictable and familiar those people become. And that's the reason why we, we have to learn about what do introverted people need? And what about the extroverts? Because they don't do those things because they want to be annoying on both sides of the spectrum. They don't do that. These are preferences. They are not optional. They need it. And yes, you can go against your values and needs, but for how long and at what cost? So it makes much more sense to walk every day a little bit so you don't have to run tomorrow. And that's exactly our topic. So instead of using it as an excuse, let's work on it so it becomes more flexible. But a lot of people don't know about this topic, and that's why I'm so happy that we can talk about this because there are a lot of popular ideas that are just not true. Look, I think that's really helpful for people to hear. And I'm just imagining a couple of people that are listening to this that are in that place of leadership that perhaps have kind of, maybe they even say that, you know, I used to be introverted, but now I'm extroverted because they saw that as their desired effect. And maybe they're leading now in a way that isn't creating psychological safety for their other introverted team members, but also is perhaps allowing these 
non-inclusive behaviors to kind of spread into their team. And then I'm also imagining these big extroverts that have teams, maybe they're listening to this, and I get a lot of listeners like this, that are trying to create a place for introverts in their organization. They just have no idea how to do it. Maybe they've been tolerating this behavior because they're like, I'm trying to help these people, but you know, I obviously have to pander to these strong personalities. For those people that feel that they haven't be, been creating that place of psychological safety for their team, what advice would you give them to start that process? It would it be an open dialogue with their team about the fact that they've not been doing this and they want to do it, or that there's nothing wrong with introversion or extroversion, or you know, what steps would you suggest they follow to start to unwind this kind of uncomfortable situation they've created for themselves and their team? So we have a four-step process to do that. First, we have to measure it. And this is when they take the assessment, so we know exactly who's in the team. We know the psychological safety, the motivation, and cognitive diversity. We're not guessing, we are measuring. And then step two, visualize it. Discuss the result with the team. Because let's be honest, it's really difficult to talk about something you're not aware of. You know, often coaches say that, oh, just reflect on it. But it doesn't matter how much you reflect on how to say goodnight in Chinese if you don't speak Chinese. You know, it doesn't matter. So we have to give people the vocabulary and a frame of reference so they can discuss it. So we can create meaningful conversations driven by data. Nothing can replace that. And then step three, now we can adjust the root causes. Because often the biggest distance between two people is misunderstanding. And we can reveal a lot of things during these conversations. And then step four is when you can grow. We co-create the next steps. Without it, it's very difficult because often people rely on common sense and good intention, but it can backfire because statistically, at least half of the world is very different from you. They, they, they are very different in terms of how they deal with conflict, how they gain their energy, very different, but equally different. But once I understand that it's easier. Now the problem is that the values are binary. If something is good, then bad exists as well. So that's why we put everything on a sliding scale because life is not binary. Life is not black and white. You can put everything on a sliding scale. And that is the real question. How big is the mindset gap between you and me, you and your team, you and your country? Because it depends. Your personality determines how you want to behave but your environment determines how you have to behave. And if that gap is too big, it can be draining. And instead of just copying and mirroring other people's behavior, once I understand what they need, what they want to avoid, and how we can build trust, because that can be very different from our best practice, then we can make it happen. But this is something that we need to learn. At least most people, I wasn't that lucky. I, I think that's really helpful for people to hear. and. If you're in an organization, I mean, if you're in an organization that is doing a lot of these tests, that's great. As long as you're anchoring that there's nothing wrong with whatever score you get or whatever result you get, everyone has strengths and weaknesses and empower people before they do those tests. If they're, if you're in an organization that doesn't have these tests as part of the organization, there are lots of free tests. Of course, there's some paid ones which offer a lot more detail and a lot more value. Um, but there are some free tests to at least start the dialogue about who everybody is and not what strengths and weaknesses people have, but what strengths and skills gaps people have to be able to start repairing the relationships you have with your team and then starting to provide increased value to each member in the way that they need it. And I think that's what's so powerful. And I can't wait 
to, to introvert, uh, interview you on the Introverted Seller Summit. And for those people that haven't registered yet, it's on uh, October 9th, and you can go to the introvertedsellersummit.com. And I can't wait to really dive deeper into the sales-specific well, because I think that and if you're thinking about a group that doesn't embrace their introverted self, uh, their introverted people, that is the sales departments usually because everybody knows introverts can't sell except for the fact that many of the best ones happen to be introverted. So I can't wait to, to start to look at that. But for those people that are experiencing you and your content for the first time, where what's the first resource that you would suggest people go to to really learn how to create or, or I guess leverage this cultural uh, and, and cognitive diversity with inside their organizations? The best way is probably connecting on LinkedIn because I do a lot of updates and that's where I post all the articles. Maybe The Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times, my book, which comes with 500 pounds worth of resources that includes assessment and it's, um, it's like an interactive book. You can read a chapter and then there's an online program so you can experience it because learning is experiential. So we have to practice what we preach. And at the end, there's also a certificate. So to me, that's an investment in, in a better future. And probably that will be the starting point. That's perfect. Mate, I so appreciate you sharing this and I can't wait uh, to finish this interview in a deeper dive into the sales world uh, as well. But for those people uh, that are checking out this podcast and haven't registered yet, please go and do that. Uh, but for today, thank you so much for checking out this episode and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the Introverts Edge podcast. Cheers, everyone. I'm Matthew Pollard, the author of The Introverts Edge to Networking. I'm on a mission to help introverts to be proud of who we are. For the first time, you'll learn a process for networking that feels comfortable and authentic to you as an introvert. A process that doesn't feel salesy or awkward in any way. I saw at least half of my board members, three in particular that I can think of, that now are so comfortable in literally going up to people at events. All of a sudden, I can see the confidence. Most of the networking books and literature out there really focus on hardcore tactics designed for extroverts. As introverts, we're different and we need to embrace that. We need a system that allows us to channel our natural introverted strengths into the networking room. You will learn how to be successful at face-to-face -face networking and a masterful online networker on your terms. It's beautifully written and it provides tremendous value. So I, I, I am honored to, to say, Folks, if you haven't looked at the book, you really need to check out this guy's book. It's, it's excellent. It gives you that confidence to truly be yourself, knowing that you're going to be presenting yourself in a way that is authentic and will also really resonate with the person that you're talking with. One of the things you'll love about the Introverts Edge to Networking is it's jam-packed full of more than 20 stories of introverts just like you. People that have likely started in much tougher spots than where you are right now and how they've leveraged the strategies that you'll be learning to obtain phenomenal career and small business success. I was about to give up on my business. The results started coming in right away. In fact, a year later, the Chamber of Commerce awarded me the business of the year. <laughs> you need to go read his book because everything he does is what people need, whether they're an introvert or not. I've been fortunate to receive endorsements from some exceptional introverts like Neil Patel and Ivan Meisner, the founder of the world's largest networking group, BNI. What I love about the Introvert's Edge 
is that it talks about the things that make an introvert successful. The introvert's edge to networking is going to destroy all of the barriers that you have around whether success in networking is possible for you. Now I'm up to kind of five figures, you know, triple my prices or more. It was like the deals just kept coming in and coming in and it, I mean, it was incredible. Like I had never seen anything like it before. I was able to triple my revenue and that's happened within six months. We've gone from 10 million a year to 20 million a year. I wrote The Introvert's Edge to Networking after the success of the first in the Introvert's Edge series, which focused on sales. I decided that it was just as important, perhaps even more so, that we had a networking book that was designed to help us as introverts dominate in the networking room and in online networking that was specifically written for us. So if you're an introvert, don't delay. Head to theintrovertsedge.com forward slash networking to get access to the first chapter of my new book completely for free today.